so I thought, oh, this will be like you know, 10, 15 minutes. My, my son's my size, so I thought, yeah, we'll just take a couple shovels, we'll hack at it a little bit, and this little puny palm tree will, will come out. Two and a half hours later, we got, finally got the palm tree out. And what Jesus is getting at in this passage is he's the gardener, and he is getting after the roots of our sins. He's talking about the, the sins of anger and lust. First, he addresses murder and adultery, but really there's a root to that sin. And the root of those two sins are anger and lust. So Jesus, like this masterful caretaker, gardener, yard worker, is going after his disciples and saying, look, here's the sin, here's the reality of what causes that sin. So that's what Jesus is getting after. Previously in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has talked to these disciples and he said, here is your identity. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. In other words, this is how you are to live in my kingdom. And then after that, he says, your righteousness needs, needs to exceed that of even the Pharisees, the teachers, the religious people, the, the ones who had it all together. And Jesus is laying out, well, what does that look like? What do I mean, and what does that look like? So he starts off quoting the, the sixth commandment. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder. Then he adds in the punishment for murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. So he starts off with what they know. You've heard this law, you know this law. You're a follower of God, you know our commands. You've heard it was said. But I say to you, he's saying with, with authority, here's really what it means. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus is talking about the danger of anger. That anger is not something that needs to be that should be festered and allowed to, to, to be fueled and, and to grow. It's something that needs to be dealt with, something that needs to be taken care of. Now, immediately when we read this, we probably have in our mind, well, there are good sources of anger, right? God gets angry. Jesus got angry. The Apostle Paul got angry. But these are, are angry, anger towards sin, towards injustice, towards the fallenness of the world. It's not personal vendettas. So, for example, Jesus gets angry and he goes into a temple and he turns over the tables. But that was angry at an institution that was claiming to be holy that wasn't holy. When Jesus was falsely accused, a personal anger, a chance for personal angry, anger, a chance for injustice, what does he do? He's silent. He allows it to happen. So Jesus is getting at, at the danger of anger here, and it's not a holy, righteous anger. And oftentimes, I think we need to be careful with that too, that we sometimes excuse our anger and say, well, this is a righteous anger. I have a right to be angry in this situation. So we need to sometimes, as uh, John Chris says, we need to check our heart. We need to, to know really what's feeding into that. Is it truly a righteous anger? And Jesus comes here and he illustrates three different ways in which anger is shown. He says that everyone who is angry will, with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. So Jesus is kind of taking three different scenarios, three different situations, and saying, these are serious. 
If you're angry with somebody, and that could be, be a myriad of different ways. Sometimes angry means that we cut somebody off from our life because we're tired of dealing with them. Or it means that we're passive-aggressive. We, we don't say anything mean. We, we don't uh, react in physical violence, but we just kind of shut down. And if somebody says, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay, but are you really? No, you're not really fine. Um, it could be that, that you want to enact revenge, that you want to justify yourself, that you want to get even with the person. It could mean that you hate the person, that you actually get to a place where you wish they didn't exist anymore, that you wish they would just go away. That's what Jesus is getting at. So that's kind of the, the emotional aspect of, of, of anger. And then he, there's some outward manifestations. If somebody insults somebody else, we live in a world of insults. If you just go online, people use insults right and left. You listen to all the political ads if you're watching YouTube and you just get your video interrupted by McSally or Mark Kelly or Trump or Biden and all these hurling of insults. And sometimes we enjoy that. We feed upon it and we use it ourselves. We talk about somebody who is like, you're so dumb. You're such an idiot. That's what that, the liable um, insult is actually the word raka and it means empty head. Saying like there's nothing going on up there. They're, they're an idiot. And then Jesus says again something similar. You fool will be liable to the fire, to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying that our words matter. The way we speak about other people could be to bless and to uplift them and to care for them, or it could be to show our contempt for them. That we think that they're eh, just kind of a lesser made in the image of God person, that they're, they're not really up to our standard. That's what Jesus is getting at with these words, that, that verbal anger, the, these insults that we come up with, are manifestations of something deeper. That we have what I think Jesus would call a, a murderous heart. That we don't love these people like he calls us to. That we don't care for them like he asks us to. That we're not really loving our neighbors as ourselves or, or praying for those who persecute us. Praying for those who hate us. And Jesus shows the ramifications of this attitude. Judgment. Liable to the council. Liable to the hell of fire. He's saying that you could outwardly be okay and never kill or murder, rather, another person. But the heart of the law, the spirit of the law, goes so much deeper than that. Just like my little palm tree, the roots go so much deeper than that. And that's what Jesus is getting at. That we need to, to look at our lives and not just say, well, I've never murdered anybody. But who have we murdered in our heart with our words and with our anger? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is how to live in my kingdom, that we need to be aware of the manifestations of our sins. And we need to get at it early. We need to stop it early. And Jesus gives a way to stop it. So he, he doesn't just say, hey, don't do this anymore. Okay, just, just stop. He says, here's the prescription. 
here's how to get out, get at the root of these sins. And he talks about reconciliation. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. Okay, Jesus here is talking about temple worship. This is where a good Jew would travel from far off distances three times a year at these great festivals that they had, like the Passover or Pentecost or the Feast of Booths. They, they were pilgrims. They would travel to Jerusalem to offer their worship three times a year. So this isn't a weekly worship service. This is a big deal. This is like, hey, if it's Easter service and you're in your Sunday best and you're excited and, and you're ready to, to worship God and you have something against your brother or sister, you need to, to leave and go make it right with him. That's really what Jesus is getting at, is this is an urgent matter, and we need to go quickly. Now, I think sometimes we, we think of reconciliation, and, and sometimes we know, hey, our relationship's not right with somebody else. But sometimes we put the onus on them. And we say, well, if so-and-so was really that upset, they would come to me. Or it really wasn't that big of a deal, they just need to get over it. And Jesus won't have any of that. He says, look, if there is a, a conflict going on between you and somebody else, then you need to go and you need to reconcile with that person. I think sometimes when we, when we think of this, we can make it too granular, like, oh, well, if we have a theological dispute, does that mean we need to go reconcile? It's really, is it making you angry? Or is that person angry at you? And maybe you said something flippant, something harsh, and now the relationship has an issue. It's, we're going to have disagreements. And that's not what Jesus is, is getting at. He's saying, are you angry about the disagreement, or are they angry about the disagreement? That's when you need to go and then make things right. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we reconcile with somebody? Well, first you go to them, right? That's the first step. And I, I suggest to you that you don't do it over messaging or something. You do it in person. And then you admit where you've sinned against them. And you don't do a half measure like, well, I'm sorry if what I said offended you. That's kind of putting the onus on them. You can say something like, please forgive me for saying X, Y, and Z, whatever it was. I've sinned against you. Please forgive me for that. So Jesus says, go to the person, leave your gift, and be reconciled, then come and worship me. He puts the onus on the people of God to go and make things right. And it, wouldn't this be a great example if the church in general did this well? If we didn't let tiny little issues become big issues and divide us? Because we are the salt and light of, to the world. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light of the world. We have people who are looking at how Christians engage issues. And if we're mean and angry and divisive, what kind of witness does that present to a watching world? Why would they want to be a part of what we're doing if we handle things no differently than they do? Jesus calls us to a better standard at this upside down living where instead of allowing conflicts to fester and to grow and to become big divisions he says go 
and be reconciled. It may look like this. There was a story I read this week, a man named Joe Avia, who was drunk, drunk driving, and he killed a girl, uh, Amy Welsh, or Amy Wells, and did his prison sentence somewhere around that time. He, he gets converted, becomes a follower of Christ, and is really just devastated about what he's done to this family. And he wants to make things right. He wants to reconcile. He wants to at least ask for forgiveness. The family, and the story isn't clear how, but somehow understand that he's come to a place where he's repentant, where he is sorry, where he wants to make things right. So the brother goes to him and, and listens to him, and, and Joe listens to his brother, her brother, talk about Amy's life and the things that she liked to do. And at the end of the conversation, Joe asks for forgiveness. And the brother forgives him. Then a little later, the father comes and meets with Joe. And Joe asks for forgiveness, and the father gives him a hug. And says, I forgive you. And then later the mother comes, and same thing, asks for forgiveness, and the mother forgives him. Now, your story of reconciliation may not be that stark, may not be that extreme, but who in your life are you angry with? Or who may be angry with you? Who do you need to go to and to be reconciled with? Jesus continues. This is more, so this is kind of within the church. And then he, he talks about situations outside the church. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus is talking about situations kind of outside the church here. And let's say there comes a point where somebody we'll use 21st century context, maybe wants to issue a lawsuit or, or thinks you've done something wrong, you've breached an agreement or you've done something that, that's worthy or liable to a lawsuit. And Jesus is basically saying, don't fight it, make it right. Whatever you've done, make it right. Restitution, the principle of restitution here. So if you uh, accidentally back into somebody's car Make it right. Pay for the damages. Restore the car to its previous condition, or maybe even better condition if you're able to. Jesus doesn't want us to, to drag our feet in making things right with the outside world. Why? Because he calls people of his kingdom to live in this upside-down living way and to be a blessing to others. That's what he's getting at. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. In other words... Make it so you don't need to go to court. Be that bold in how you want to make things right with the other person so that court isn't necessary. Now, I know we live in a fallen world, and that may not always happen, but that should be our motive and our goal. We're supposed to live at peace with everyone as much as we're able to. That's what Jesus is getting at here, to go and to do this. Jesus continues on, so he's dealt with anger, now he, he deals with lust. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, that's the seventh commandment. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
So Jesus is getting at another heart issue. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't ever look at somebody of the opposite sex and, and have an admiration for their beauty. What he's getting at is where the mind begins to have sexual temptation, where you begin to, lack of a better term, begin to fantasize about the other person. That's what Jesus is getting at here. That um, there's a difference between beauty and then checking someone out. I'm 40. Do, do people still use that term, checking someone out? I don't know. Correct me later. Give me, a, give me a better term for that. That's what the 40-year-olds used to say. Um, so Jesus is getting at this kind of mental picture of being with somebody other than your wife. And I think what he does here is, is remarkable because he brings dignity in several areas. One, he brings dignity to marriage. That you need to be faithful to your spouse, not only outwardly, right, physically, but emotionally, intellectually. Whatever's going on in your mind needs to be directed towards your wife. It also brings dignity to sex. That sex is in its proper context between a husband and their wife in marriage. It also brings dignity to women. That women are, are not just objects to be gawked at. That women are, are made in the image of God and they have indignant worth and value and they're not objects for our own imaginations. It also gives dignity to men that we need to control our desires and that through by faith in the power of the Spirit, we can control our desires. So this is what Jesus is getting at here. <clears throat> I think another thing that Jesus says that's amazing is he's kind of acknowledging the fallenness of his own people, people of the kingdom of God, that, that this will be a temptation. Just like anger is a temptation for us, lust and having these sexual desires for somebody that's not our spouse will be a temptation for us. I also want to say that this is written um, on, the, on the surface. It seems like it's written primarily to men, but it also applies to women as well. All right, so just like with anger, Jesus gives us a way to rein in our lust. Because the thing about lust, and Jesus is so wise here, is that adultery just doesn't happen at like a snap of the fingers. It happens long before that. It happens when you allow your heart, the inward whole person, to be directed at somebody other than your spouse. And there are times where it's an emotional entanglement where it, maybe it doesn't start off with a physical attraction, but you begin to spend time with somebody else and you begin to, to become friends with them and there's nothing wrong with, with friendship, but that friendship begins to supersede the, the love friendship that you have with your spouse and you begin to confide in this person and, and begin to, to share things that should only be shared with your significant other and then the entanglement happens. The desires grow. You're feeding the desires and then the affair, the outward affair happens. But Jesus says it happens long before that with this lustful intent. 
There's a, a show, um, I'm not going to give the name because I don't recommend it, but it, it, it isn't a Christian TV show. It's not on Pure Flix, I can tell you that. Um, but it shows just how subtle these things can be. Where just a, a, a glance or just a, a, a bump into somebody and how the mind can begin to, to paint these scenarios and then the body begins to follow. It's almost like, uh, if you have any children, there, there's a story uh, called There Is No Dragon, where this boy has a pet dragon, and the mother says, there is no dragon. And each time the mother denies the, that there's a pet dragon, the dragon grows bigger. And eventually it grows so big that it takes the house on a ride along, around the neighborhood. And finally, at the end of the story, the mother acknowledges the dragon. And for us, we need to acknowledge this dragon of lust. We need to acknowledge that, yeah, I struggle with this. And Jesus gives some, some radical, albeit uh, embellished treatment. Okay, so don't go gouging out your eyes. Um, you, you put away the machete, right? You're not going to cut off any arms after the service. He was so excited when I said this. He said, I have a machete. We'll, we'll get to work right afterwards. But we're not going to do that. We're not going to maim anybody. Jesus is using illustrative words to show the seriousness of the sin and the seriousness that we need to take the sin. In other words, he's saying, look, you need to get to the root of it quick and deal with it. So for some, maybe you're, you're beginning to get entangled in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex that's not your spouse. And, and if we apply this cutting off and gouging out, Jesus is saying, you need to break off that relationship. You need to cut it off. You need to come clean. And you need to bring people alongside you to, to hold you accountable, to pray with you, and to walk alongside with you. And this can happen so quickly. I have dear friends where, where this danger has become a reality with, with a, an emotional affair. And it happens in the matter of weeks, not years. So if you're in that danger, I encourage you to, to break off the relationship any way you can. For others, it may, may mean that you deal with, with something like pornography. That's real comfortable for a guest preacher to talk about, I know. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Um, that may mean that you need to turn your smartphone into a dumb phone. That you either trade it in for the old-fashioned keyboard phone, flip phone, or you get some type of software blocker, or you have an accountability partner that checks in with you, that your computer is in, is in an open workspace. Um, there's software programs like Covenant Eyes that will help out with that. That's what Jesus is getting at, that this radical change, this radical rooting out needs to take place. Because he says that these two sins, even though they're heart sins, are liable to the same consequence that the outward sins, that the breaking of the Ten Commandments is. And it is hell, judgment, condemnation. And I think as we, as we look at this passage, it can seem like there's no hope in this passage. I think Jesus offers actually a lot of hope. And let me give you two ways. One is that Jesus Christ, and we'll see this 
or you'll see this later in the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, that Jesus is our anchor. In other words, these are kingdom ethics for people who are in his kingdom, people that Jesus has saved, people that Jesus has paid for their sin. In other words, if we stumble in these ways, we are not as people without hope. Because Jesus has paid the cost for these sins, and he has anchored us in him. All right? We will not be lost. We will not fall away because we've committed one or both of these sins. Because our faith is secure in who Jesus Christ is. That he lived for us, that he died for us, that he rose from us, that he ascended for us. Jesus is our anchor. But Jesus is also our engine. And what I mean by that is he is the one who energizes us by his spirit and empowers us so that we can live out these kingdom ethics by faith, empowered by the spirit. This is what he wants the people of God, you as the church, to do as people that he has paid for and brought into his kingdom. So I want to encourage you, if there's anyone that you're angry with, or somebody that's angry with you, to go and make things right. To reconcile with that person. As a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, your identity is in him, and he calls you to walk this out. And if you are struggling with lust, talk to one of your elders, talk to Pastor Gray, and have them work with you on a plan on how to go about busting that lust. Jesus calls us to do this for the sake of a watching world. So I encourage you to, to go and to live out the call of Christ in your lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for the gospel that we heard. Lord, I ask that you would help us to apply these things to our hearts and to our minds. Pray this in your name. Amen.
we come to this time where we see that God and Jesus is both our anchor and our engine. As we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of Jesus' broken body and shed blood that covers our sins, our failings, the way we fall short, not only in the past, but also he covers all of our sins. So I want you to see Jesus as we take this as your anchor, but also as our engine, as we feed upon him, he nourishes us, he, he feeds our faith and strengthens it so that we can walk in his ways, so that we can be strengthened by who Christ is, what he has done, and what he's doing now in us. So if you are a child of God, if you have come into his kingdom, you are a baptized believer in Christ, this table is for you. And Eric and I are going to come, and we are going to deliver the elements to you. There's a top wrapper that you're going to have to undo, and then a bottom wrapper. So We also have a gluten-free option. If you are, are just checking things out, you're not sure where you stand with Jesus yet, or if you are living in unrepentant sin, just encourage you to cross your arms. Please stay and listen and, and consider the claims of Christ. But this is for those who trust in him.
Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you that you take uh, this time, this bread and grape juice, and you use them to accomplish your holy ends. pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. On the night when our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me
Look up now and receive the Lord's blessing as he sends you out. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace. Thank you.